You're listening to Radio Sega, and this is the Sega Lounge. Sit back, have a drink, and enjoy the conversation. Good evening, welcome to the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega. This is uh, our weekly talk show, and you know, we usually have awesome guests. Tonight's no exception. Actually, we have a very, very special guest for you guys tonight. I'm KC, I'm your host, and before I introduce our very, very, very special guests this week, I'd like to introduce you to my co host for the week. Hello, Steven! Hello, everyone. I'm the not special guest this week. <laughs> you're always, you're always special. You're I'm a very all, special, special person. It's okay. You don't have to say it. But yes, I'm here to co-host. I'm very excited. You, you may or may not remember me from a past appearance or two on Radio Sega. Um, I, I co-host the Overclock Remix podcast, um, and uh, Casey knows my my Sega love perfectly well and invited me back. So I'm glad to be here. Indeed, and we're glad to have you. That is always a pleasure to have you on the show. And so, um, you know, it's time to introduce our very special guest, as I just said. So we're, we're massive Sega fans around here, uh, especially as that have been around the, the Sega scene for, for longer than, than the, the kids these days. You know, the kids. I'm Yeah, like me. <laughs> yeah, I have a Honestly. stick in my hand. I have a cane in my hand. The kids! <laughs> uh, get off my lawn. Um, so, yeah... I, there are a few people that are, you know, legends for us old-timers, and one of them is obviously Spencer Nielsen. Welcome, Spencer, to the Sega Lounge. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Stephen. It's a, I've had a blast already, and we haven't even started, so it's going to <laughs> be fun. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on, on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us about, about stuff, about so many Ab- things we, we have to talk about. Yeah. Yes, and, and uh, I, I've had this on my calendar now for a, a little while, and I've been really revving up to it, looking forward to it. I, I just came mm-hmm. out off of a, uh, a backpacking trip where I was completely by myself for better part of a week in the in the Cascade Mountains of Oregon, and uh, it's wow. kind of fun now to talk back to civilization again and you know, talk to people around the world and yeah, connect. It's great. I love that it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, so yeah, um, before we, we dive into the interview, we'll, we'll take a quick music break, we'll play one of uh, Spencer's tracks, but uh, for those that uh, aren't aware of uh, Spencer's background, he's uh, worked on several uh, amazing soundtracks, Sega soundtracks in the past, uh, probably people know you better for Sonic CD because it's a Sonic game, and probably, probably. Echo 1 and 2 on the, the Mega CD or Sega CD in the US, right? Exactly, and and the yeah the uh, the Saturn versions of the Echo stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so if you're not, uh, you know, if you're not, uh, you don't have have a, a clear picture of who Spencer is. I, I think you'll have it once we we're done with the interview. We'll talk about his background, some of his uh, works for Sega, and uh, yeah. So, 
And someone in the, the chat is saying, and Spider-Man. So we have Spider-Man mm-hmm. fans uh, in Spider-Man the Discord chat. Spider-Man Kingpin, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's, one of my, that's one of my favorites. We rocked that one pretty good, and we got Eric Martin to, uh, to write and sing the, the theme song, Swing Time, which I love. I think it's a great track, and, and I realized, again, how popular it got in other parts of the world that you never hear about, but people are turning it into dance tracks and... So that was a that was a fun show. We actually did that a, a few times live at some of the bigger conventions, bigger game conventions. Oh, awesome! Uh, that's rad. Yeah, yeah, we did. We put a band together with Eric singing, and uh, we did that live a few times. Really had a lot of fun. With that. So great! I'm glad that fans remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think Swing Time. Um, if if it wasn't um, a video game song, it would probably be a hit. Uh, a mainstream <laughs> no, it's hit. Funny, Yeah, we were at such an early stage with that stuff that there was just no um, structure in place, no infrastructure to make that kind of thing happen. And so, you know, these hits, quote unquote, were huge, but really just among the game yeah. players and, and clubs and magazines and things like that, because it really hadn't gone mainstream nearly to the degree that it is yeah. today with all the crossover and We were still, you know, we were still literally beating each other up over whether we were going to stream more video or whether the music was going to be mono or stereo. You know, mm. I mean, literally, you had to you had to carve out your place in the, in the memory of these early, um, you know, players and and and, uh, and platforms. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't just say, yeah, you know what? Give me a ninety-five. You know, peace orchestra. I'll record up at Skywalker <laughs> Ranch, and uh, you know, well, and then you know what? Then I'll bring in a couple of great soloists to just shred over the top of that. Can I do that in surround sound, maybe? <laughs> and you all know? this is going to be placed straight over yeah. some HD quality video. Don't worry, yeah. we got it all covered on the Sega CD. That's right. That's exactly. And you know, back then I was I had just moved all the mops and you know brooms out of the closet and put all my equipment in it, and that was Sega's very first studio. You know, I mean, so it, it's a big, big shift in what, you know, we face as far as challenges go to get that stuff done. That's why I think it, it kind of holds up well because there was so much authenticity in it. You know, we, we yeah, couldn't for do sure. bombastic things if they weren't called for, you know, that kind of thing. So. You know, but, but you guys, you know, just uh, did what you could and you took the best out of the, the hardware. The, the limitations yeah, were, were big, but you guys yeah. did an awesome job. We, we you had to be creative, right? Yeah, you really did. I mean, it's like I, I just mixed a record um, for a young man, young artist, and um, you know, he came into the sessions with his Pro Tools files. And Pro Tools, you guys probably know, is a platform, digital, you know, mm-hmm. recording platform that's used throughout the industries. And mm-hmm. and uh, he came in, and I think at total we counted about 132 tracks for a hip hop song. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at him like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, what could possibly fill 132 tracks? So, you know, we had 24 tracks. And if you're lucky, you <laughs> 23 of them, you know, and you had to bounce a lot of things down. Anyway, you had to pre-produce. You really had to think this stuff through from a yep. whole, you know, from not only the design standpoint, but the user standpoint. How is this going to work on someone's little TV in the yeah. corner of their bedroom, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. big, big difference. Exactly. But no less fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So we're, we're going to take a quick music break, uh, and we'll, we'll just 
be back soon with with some more talk with Spencer Nielsen. We're going to play uh, one of your tracks, Spencer. We're going to play St. Gabriel's Mask from Echo the Dolphin. But this is the vocal remix that was uh, part of the Sega Power Cuts Volume 1 album uh, that you guys released at some point. Um, and uh, it's just four minutes long, so it won't take long. We'll be right back with Spencer Nielsen on the second launch. Just uh, a reminder, if you're uh, listening to us live and you want to take part in the conversation and send us some questions for Spencer, please join us in Discord, radiose.ga forward slash Discord, radiose.ga forward slash Discord. Send me a private message uh, in Discord, double-click my name or something. I'm KC over there and tell me, uh, if you have a question for Spencer and we'll try to squeeze it in uh, the limited time we have for this interview but as I was saying uh, stay tuned to the Sega Lounge this is St. Gabriel's Mask the vocal remix from Echo the Dolphin on the Sega Lounge <laughs> Thank you. 
is the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega. Come on in and have a seat. Indeed, I'm already seated, so let's get on with this. This is the Sega Lounge. Welcome back. Uh, you just heard St. Gabriel's Mask, the vocal remix uh, from the Sega Power Cuts Volume 1 album. And this was yeah. composed by Spencer Nielsen. Uh, what happened? Well, yeah, that's an, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, so, yes. it's great that you chose that track um, because that's such a unique track in a lot of different ways. Um, first of all, that was a, a vo you know, that was a vocal version, as you said, a vocal remix of one of the pieces from the game. But Ed Annunziata, who is the creator of Echo and so many other fantastic games for Sega and beyond, yeah. um, he really kind of established a genre of underwater adventures and stuff. And then and I are still very close friends. And, and when we did that score, um, he was adamant that there was nothing human in the score, meaning that we, we created most of the instruments that we used to, to write and produce that score for echo for that very reason wow. so there wasn't a big human element in it and oh, then i amazing. came to him for this yeah i came to him for this remix and i said i want to do a vocal version of it you know and he looked at me like were well, you going to get a dolphin to sing it you know because i'm not <laughs> going to do it you know and and it, he was that adamant about it. i had to i had to really work him to get it let him you know get us to do that uh, that vocal version much less release it which I, I really like it. I, and Gary Ciramelli, who sings it, um, is a great singer. And, and it's kind of a cool, you know, unique version of that. And I'm glad we got a chance to do it for that for that little, you know, EP release that we did. Yeah, I, I picked this one because uh, I, I think most people know the, you know, the instrumental version because it's the one that plays in mm -hmm. the game. I think this is the, the track that plays on the 3D stages of Echo the Dolphin. Yes. Right? I'm pretty it's sure. Yeah. Try to you know, jump through the, the loops, the rings. Um, yep. And I think this is one of the most, uh, you know, most well-known Echo echo tracks on the, the, the Sega CD, but uh, I don't think we play this that often on Radio Sega. So, uh, and judging by the reactions of people uh, in the chat room, I don't think people actually knew about this track. So it's a good That's thing fun. that I, I picked this one. Well, look at that. It's a world premiere. You know? <laughs> We're all Radio learning new Sega. things here. Uh, I love it. Hashtag Sega Education. We're uh, better, right? <laughs> We're better, should it? In, in this case, <laughs> Nielsen Education, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. We're being educated about Spencer Nielsen's works. And so, Spencer, uh, before we get into some of the, the you know, the soundtracks that you worked on, um, would you like to talk a bit about your background, what made you become a musician uh, and stuff like that? Absolutely. I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was born and raised just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, and I live there now. I live up in the wine country, Sonoma area, and... Um, When I was growing up, I was in a very creative household. My dad was an architect and a painter, and my mom was a writer, and we had a lot of people at the house all the time, creative people, um, you know, from all walks of life. And, and so it was a very encouraging artistic environment. And, and my dad brought home a piano one day that he had traded for some architectural work for a friend, and he just plopped it down in our living room. And, and, that, and I was about five, and that became my toy box. He let me do anything I wanted with that piano. I put stuff in the strings. I took it apart. I put it back together. I, you know, and, and I, it really became kind of this incredible, um, 
you know, multifaceted, you know, adventure land for me. Not to mention the sonic textures that were coming out of it when I hit the keys. You know, that was that was a big part of it too. So anyway, I I, I started writing music very 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 young. Um, so and 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 it just continued and continued and and literally by the time I was twelve, I was doing professional um, session work as a keyboard player in the Bay Area and. And I, I was just meeting artists by, you know, bugging the guy who ran the keyboard department at the, you know, San Francisco, you know, big music store. And, uh, and he basically said, you know, he would tell these customers, I don't know how this thing works. Go talk to the kid who's hanging out in the corner. And I, uh, <laughs> start explaining synthesizers to them and playing things for them on these new synthesizers that were coming out. And this is in the seventies, right? And, so big time of music in the Bay Area too. We're talking about all the biggest artists in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were based in the Bay Area, from you know, Santana to Journey to, you know, Jefferson Starship, and you know, just tons and tons and tons of people were in and about these music stores. And I began to meet them and then do sessions with them. And and um, you know, my mom was my first roadie, and and bummer for her <laughs> because I play keyboards and not flute, you know. So it was. <laughs> It was a lot of work, um, but yeah, Man, that's how I got. Being... I just kept going. I, I went right into college and I studied music and film as a dual degree because I knew I wanted to score picture. I really didn't even know what that meant, but I knew that when the when the music came up in a film or a TV show, it changed everything. And I I connected to that. I don't know if at the time I really even knew what it meant, but I knew I wanted to do it. And so I went in that direction studying film because there were no such things as, you know, college programs that, you know, where you study, you know, music for film other than maybe mm-hmm. at USC. And um, so I, anyway, I carved together this this kind of dual degree and began scoring things for people in college, dance recitals, uh, PBS shows, student films. Um, and that led, I, I also did a lot of concert promotion at the time. I got a job on campus promoting concerts for the, for the campus. It was a big campus and I ended up doing a lot of production of concerts with people that became hugely famous. Like we did U2's first shows in the United States and, wow. you know, work with Whoa. The Clash and, Hell you know, yeah. and the, the Ramones and, you know, big band, bands that became really big, uh, the Go-Go's and, all the bands through the 80s and things like that. So I had a concert background as well. And then I just started focusing on my composition. I got a solo recording contract with American Gramophone. That led to someone at within the you know game industry hearing my music for something I, had, I think I had done for a, a documentary about George Lucas. And uh, <laughs> I got a call one. I got a call one day from someone who said, "You ever thought about writing music for games?" And my answer was. Do games have music? You know, big question mark. Because the games I was thinking of, as far as the electronic games, were found in you know in pool halls and bars. It was you know it was uh, Space Invaders and yeah. Pong and you know it was it was that kind of game experience and and it was boop, 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 you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing and sound effects and you know little little kind of monophonic. Um, you know, uh, melody lines, cute, but not what I was working on. Not the kind of thing that I thought of when I thought of music. And, and she laughed at me. She thought I was kidding. You know, she's like, Oh yeah, you're funny. You know, well, why don't you come on down and we'll show you around. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and she said, 
I'm from a company called Sega, and they're big in you know big Japanese company. We're starting a division in America, and we're really interested in you becoming a part of our team. And so I drove from my house in Marin County down to Silicon Valley. You know, I went into a industrial kind of you know industrial park type building with no natural light and no you know no fresh air and a lot of cubicles, a lot of computer screens. And 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 she said, "Yeah, this is Sega." And, And I said, "Well, where do you? Where's the studio? <laughs> you know, where do you make the music?" Uh-huh. And she looked at me like she had, like I was from Mars. And someone, you know, came and gave me a tour, and I looked around at a lot of cubicles and a lot of computers. And again, I didn't see anything that made music. And maybe there was a guitar sitting in the corner of somebody's cubicle or something like that. And I would then I asked again. I said, "Where do you make the music?" And they say, "Well, that's why you're here, because we don't have that. We don't know what that looks like. What, uh-huh. you know, what is, what is that? What's, you know, what is the infrastructure of that required?" So, and that's when I looked around. Okay, oh, right, there's a whole kind of bunch of opportunity here um, to have well, a lot of fun and to, you know, build something from the ground up. And I swear to God, I, I and I, I am completely authentic when I say. I walked out of there saying, "I wonder how long this game thing's going to last." <laughs> really, you know, because there was nothing there that told me mainstream entertainment, yeah, and that's yeah. you have to understand. I was coming from mainstream entertainment. I was coming uh-huh. from film and television and records and you know concerts, that kind of thing, where there was an immediate connection to your audience, you know, in, in, in some form,、uh, whether live or you know some sort of tangible you know、uh, format or something. Media,、um, a group experience in a movie theater, that kind of thing. TV show showing at the same time every week, you know, in the same slot, that kind of thing. And、uh, so, this is a whole new world, full of a lot of question marks, of course, for me, and full of a lot of opportunity. And and,、uh, and that's kind of how it all started.、And、they took a big chance on me. Like I said, I I'd never done anything in games. And they just heard a lot in my music, of course, and in the production value. And they knew they needed to take that big step up.、Yeah. Um, so, because so. so so at the time there wasn't really a, a, a you know Sega Studios or at least music、oh, studios.、No. So you、Nothing. you went there to make it happen, right? The first studio that Sega had, Sega of America, was basically you know our equipment, meaning me and the other sound people. In our cubicles, and then we graduated to taking the brooms and, like I said earlier, when we were off the air, the mops and the brooms out of a closet, and that was the first recording space. <laughs> we literally moved our gear and, you know, put some put some blankets up, recorded voiceover, you know, did some vocals, and then we built a small room,、um, you know, where、uh, you know where we started to track real instruments and、uh, as well as a lot of MIDI, and、um, yeah, it was.、Uh, It was quite a、uh, quite a early、um, kind of rudimentary approach. And again, they were you know everyone was figuring it all out at the same time. How is the you know how is the disc going to work? How much video can we put in there? How many you know how much of this can be MIDI? How much can be mono? How much of the music can be in stereo? Yeah, and、uh, you know very very limited by our a, a whole new world <laughs> at the time. Yeah, it's completely new. Yeah. yeah. So,、um, yeah. What I what I was going to ask you、uh, the, the follow up question you already kind of answered it、uh, was your history with video games. So some people, you know, some people in the industry, we we have them on the show and say, yeah, I was I was always a big fan of video games, 
yeah. that's not entirely your case, right? You know, it, <laughs> what I was exposed to, I liked. So that has to, I have to preface it by saying that because it wasn't like I shunned away from them. You have to understand that unless you had friends that had game systems at home, um, you, you know, you didn't discover games. There weren't, they weren't advertising this stuff and, you know, I didn't start by playing, you know, on a Commodore 64 and then graduate to a, you know, a little bit bigger PC, a little bit faster games. I, like I said, I was already 30 years old. And so it wasn't my generation. Even my friends didn't have game systems. If my friends had been into games, I probably would have gotten into it too because it was another form of entertainment and storytelling, something I'm passionate about. Uh -huh. um, and once I got exposed to them, I played a lot of video games while I was at Sega, you know, meaning that we had to. We had to really get to understand the mechanics and what was possible and, 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 the, and the vernacular and the culture and... So, uh, you know, me and my team played a lot of video games, um, you know, when we were, you know, we were working on these projects and it, it became, it became my world for certain, you know, for almost 10 years. Um, yeah. But prior to that, it, it wasn't on my radar. Mm -hmm. I was, like I said, I was into traditional media, films, TV, records, concerts, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I was all up to the challenge. You know, I loved the, <laughs> the open, you know, the wild west of it was really fun. Even if it was just for like six months or a year, right? Oh, I, I was down. <laughs> yeah, I was down. And I had a new baby at home. You know, I was, you know, I was a, I was a starving musician, meaning that I had a, had a record out, but you know, how the record business works. You rarely see any, you know, return on that. And I had toured a little bit. I had some, you know, I was doing a lot of music for commercials and TV and it was a gig and I needed a gig, you know, and, and that was kind of how I approached it at first because I didn't know really what I was jumping into. So it's funny how your life can take these paths. And I, I've been very involved in education, higher education in the last 15 years. And, and, um, I often tell students, you know, it is that, that internal, you know, barometer and compass that you have to follow. And what I saw was a lot of opportunity to write music. Yeah. And that, And that was that was all I needed to see. Apparently, <laughs> you know, <laughs> looking back, you know, that helped. That that was my passion, and I and I got paid to do my passion. Shit, man, that's all. Excuse me, that's all I needed. You know, was to uh, to win. You know, have win, that, win. that green light. You know, the green light to go. Exactly. So you mentioned uh, when you you started at Sega, uh, the studio was a former broom closet. Uh, but yeah. the, with with time, uh, you guys created the Sega Music Group, and yeah, you yeah. moved into a proper studio, right? How did that oh, happen? Oh man, did we ever? Did we ever? Yeah, that was that was a gift. Meaning that um, you know that that was a result of the success that we had had as a music you know uh, generating machine, and and not a machine, but we were doing some great music for some really good original titles, and it was getting noticed and. Joe Miller, who was the vice one of one of the vice presidents and the head of the, the Sega Studios, the multimedia studios, he was one of my champions, and and I couldn't have done it without Joe Miller, and uh, meaning that he, you know, he was my buffer between the big wigs at Sega of America and Sega of Japan, and my little group that was you know the, my little group chugging out music um, with some very talented and dedicated people, and and yeah. so you know he. We, I proposed it to him, and he proposed it to them, and he got them to literally sign across the cover of our of our proposal, and and we built a very 
substantial and exciting and, and original physical space as well as a culture that was um you know we never really got to see it all the way through to the finish line to be honest you know sega had hit some really rough times right around that time and you know that that's part of business um but we got some good work done we we proved the the concept and you know clearly this is this is over 15 years ago we can look back now knowing what we know today and know that we had a part in you know setting something going that that is bigger yeah. than ourselves you know oh, for well, sure. something that's exciting and sega has always treated whether it's the japanese studios or the western ones sega has always treated music with a certain reverence a certain importance that most uh you know most people could just breeze right by and if you I look at to, even even the games that are coming out now, like you look at Sonic Mania, which is the newest Sonic game just announced, and everyone's like drawing conclusions, you know, like this reminds them of Sonic CD. It still lasts to this day. That's great. And again, it was the freedom that I was given. And I have images of Joe, and I, I, you know, sadly, Joe passed away in the last 12 months, young and and too soon. Yeah, unexpectedly. And so you know we've we've had a chance to get literally the whole group together again in his in his memory and and reminisce about a lot of this stuff and you know he had a vision and and you know his name didn't show up on all the game boxes like our names did you know and and um and he you know he he coalesced a great team of people and and it was i have images of him sitting on the floor of the studio at three in the morning you know doing sonic cd um recording with you know live musicians and the singers the girls from pastiche who added all the vocal stuff in that Mm -hmm. which really Mm -hmm. made it unique and we were writing as we went we had so little time because that soundtrack was going to be the japanese soundtrack and you know there's a lot of controversy out there about the two different soundtracks and why one different than the other and you know different camps of who loves the japanese and who hates the american one and i love it i think it's great you know just you know i don't care what you say about me just spell my name right you know that's all i <laughs> it's so funny you know so um and so all this going back and forth but at the time it was like you know they came to me and said we've decided we want an america a different soundtrack you know how much time do you need and how much money do you need and go and it was literally like eight weeks or something like that that we had to create an entirely new, you know, soundtrack. Um, so it was a blur, and we were working through many, many, many all-night sessions with many, re- you know, people, musicians, and all kinds of people involved. And there was Joe, you know, sleeping under the console, you know, and he—he's, you know, he was an executive. He was—he was one yeah, of the people that helped put that's the, a rarity. Yeah, he literally helped put the space shuttle in space. That's the level of engineer these people were when I started Sega. They were mathematicians, astronauts. They were they were not kids coming out of MIT who have never done anything but play video games. I'll guarantee mm-hmm. you that. These yeah. people were they were rocket scientists that happened it's- to get into games through, you know, through Atari or, you know, through, you know, one of the big computer companies down in silicon valley or something these were brilliant mathematicians and stuff i was i was the stupidest person in the room and that's a good thing to be you know <laughs> yeah so when, when you're surrounded up. by greatness you know yeah, your you work be becomes the, great as well one. yeah and soak it up you know so yeah. why do you think that so so many talented super smart and awesome people wanted to be in this space was it the the promise of something new on the horizon that hadn't been done before absolutely that's why I was there. 
It was yeah. the Wild West. It was there was money flowing. There was there was a lot of you know chatter about it. You know, I'm sure it's the same that you know people look back and they you know they were gonna you know they're the first ones in on on social media or you know mm-hmm. first ones in on microfinance or you know what I mean. You you don't know it when you're in it. And like I said, I drove home going, I wonder how long this gig's gonna last. You know, I mean. <laughs> And then you look up seven, eight years later and, you know, you've built these divisions of a company and, you know, people know who you are and, and what you do. And, and you know, if you're working hard to get there, you really don't notice it as you're going. It's really, I'm more humbled now that I get, I get fan mail every week, you know, because yeah. people, it changed a lot of people's perspective, whether on their life or you know, on, on games, there was a turning point there, you know, and I just happened to be lucky enough to be a part of that. Um, and that's exciting, you know, and it's, I, I see it as a huge gift and, um, you know, whether it ever happens again, who knows, I'm working on some really fun stuff now. And, and, you know, you got to wake up every day believing that you still got, you know, you still got good stuff to, to give. And, and, uh, I learned something new on every project. I love working in film and in animation and these other areas. And so, um, yeah, that was a big that was a big part of the start was uh, all that we were kind of learning as we went at Sega. Yeah, and, that's and, I mean, that's exciting as I think that it, it can be, you know, frightening as well, but but really exciting to be part of something new and, you know, thread oh, new absolutely. ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, it's the uh, as a composer, it's how my music has connected to so many people. You know, because I think I've learned over the years that certain people write music for other people to hear and some some people don't. And it doesn't make one music better than others. Um, I love a lot of eclectic music, even some dissonant, you know, experimental stuff that I was doing early in my synthesizer career and stuff. I love that stuff. But that doesn't mean that you can do that and connect to hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Mm-hmm. And I've realized over the years that I happen to write melodic music that people connect to. You know, that's and that's about as engineered as it is. You know, the rest of it has to be magic. You have to just go with your gut and then people have to connect to it. You can never, ever, ever design a hit. No one can has ever done it and they never will. What they have to do is the best work they can do and believe in it the whole way and then hope that other people connect to it and that it gets out there and it spreads and, you know, that can happen now more than it ever could before because of how oh, we're yeah. all connected, like the way we're connected right now. Um, that could never happen then. It really had to be written about. It had to be shared. It had to be talked about person to person, face to face in order for it to become popular and 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 um, you know and that's why I'm that's why I'm humbled by it because it it really took people loving it and to this day you know get right you know, now they're parents you know now they're writing to me as as young adults and mm-hmm. and, uh, oh, sure, and telling yeah. me still how you know how much they listen to Echo in the car it helps put their kid to sleep or you know what I mean <laughs> I love that I think that's, that's awesome that's awesome yeah so uh, you you mentioned Sonic CD. Uh, I was, you know, keeping this uh, for for later on during the interview, but you know, time doesn't stop for for us. And so, some people in the chat already uh, sent me some Sonic CD related uh, questions. Uh, Metal Sonic CD was saying in the IRC, I wonder if he heard Jap- the Japanese soundtrack before he made the US soundtrack. So, did you get to listen to the the original Japanese soundtrack of Sonic CD before you you made your own version? 
or just I did, saw the game? I, I just saw the game, and and most of the what I saw were the animatics. You know, some of the some of the animation scenes that that bridged different levels of the game. Um, I saw a little bit of gameplay, and then as I was writing, then then stuff started to trickle in from Japan, and we were worlds apart. And that was really in you know, actually I was I was happy when I finally heard what they were doing and to know how far apart we were because that was the whole idea. Yeah. You know, we were not trying to replicate that Japanese soundtrack or any other Japanese soundtrack. Uh -huh. I was I was given the green light to to go nuts, meaning that just just write whatever you feel because we trust you and And then I had the chat about bringing the girls in because of the introduction later in the game of the female character. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I thought that, that no makes sense, actually. Yeah, no one's ever yeah. done this before, yeah. and, and it's and it's a palette. It's an instrument palette that I can work with live. Meaning, those girls were so good at harmonizing everything, we could be in the studio, and I could come up with cool stuff for them to do. Because a lot of what they did was vocalization. They don't. Other than in Sonic Boom, they don't really sing lyrics anywhere. Yeah, the whole mm -hmm. thing. Their voices are used as as a texture and as an instrument. Yeah, they're basically just an incredibly versatile instrument to add all the exactly. other words that you can look at. As, as you know, you can't talk to your guitar, but you can talk to people and get them to try <laughs> cool things. Yeah, you can talk to the guitar player. You know. But, you know, so, yeah, that was a big bonus. And again, that that happened because of other people. People turned me on to them. They said, oh, man, if you're going down this road, you got to hear these girls and they're local. And, you know, and that's how that connection happened. We did a you know, there was a lot of that. There was a guy, the guy who came in and did all the guitar in um, in Spider-Man versus Kingpin, which is all guitar. I mean, it's a it's a, a rocket. Yeah. I met that kid. The morning I started recording that soundtrack, because the original guitar player literally, you know, had an overdose or something and was not available. Mm -hmm. And I got okay. on the phone and started calling everybody you entrusted. Yeah, literally, and said, "Who can you recommend? I start recording today. How versatile is he?" And and they found me this 18-year-old kid, Eric uh, Eric uh, Rickman, I believe. Eric Frickman, yeah, that, that sounds yeah. right. Mm -hmm. And I went and picked him up in my car, put his amp in the trunk, met him in the passenger seat on the way back to the studio. Said, "This is what I'm trying to do. Are you in?" <laughs> and he said, "You know, hell yeah, I'm in." You know, he was a, he was a high school kid working for Sega all of a sudden, <laughs> and uh, and he shredded, he shredded that soundtrack. That's and, just amazing. And and just became one of my favorite go-to people that I started using on sessions from records to commercials to other games. You know, he saved my ass and we gave him a career. I mean, basically in that one, you know, that one exchange. Um, and the likelihood yeah, an of early something. guitar career. I, don't, I think he's yeah. teaching school now, literally, but it gave him a chance to play professionally, be paid, get credits, you know, And, and it was it, it was a win-win, and I that's the way I believe the best stuff happens. And when it's when it's happening in the studio, you may not know if it's going to be hit or not, but you know people are going to dig it when they hear it, you mm -hmm. know. And that's that's really all you can do. And then you gotta you gotta you know you gotta hope that the man you know the marketing people do their job, and the sales people do their job, and the press likes it, and all those other unknowns, those unseen factors. You have to. And you know, pray all fall in, in line. But you got it. The first thing has got to be authentic, and you've got to be loving it when it goes out the door. You know, 
So mm-hmm. that's that. That was kind of our marching orders and 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 how we worked. And everything else was gut. You know, how does it feel? And if it felt right, we did it. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you really lucked yeah. out on Sonic CD because everyone is firing on all cylinders in that particular game. Like, it's still exactly you know, one of the most beloved Sonic games of them all. It's my favorite, actually. So. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you a little story because if I don't and we miss it, it would be a real tragedy. But okay, because of how we're talking about how the music affected kids in the, in that era, which you guys are of that era. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was at Skywalker Ranch, which you probably know is the amazing recording facility at at, at uh, Skywalker Ranch, um, the the uh, scoring stage at George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch. So it's. It's like Shangri-La. It's one of the most <laughs> incredible places I've ever seen. And I've been there for the last 20 years. And every time I go, I feel the same way. It's an incredible experience. And anyway, I got invited out there to a big orchestral recording session. And I love orchestral music. And so I accepted the invitation, of course. And uh, my friend, uh, Leslie Ann Jones, is the vice president there. And she runs the, the recording stage. And and we were having dinner and I told her, anytime you've got a big session, I want to, you know, want to be a fly in the wall. So she called me and, and I went out and I had no idea who it was or what they were recording. And I walked into the control room, which is huge. And it's got, you know, 15 people in it, all with big scores in their laps and 95 piece orchestra. And, um, and I look around the room and I recognize quite a number of people and I couldn't figure out from where. This is about three years ago, four years ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it turned out they were all from the game industry. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a game score. You know, I yeah. started in a broom closet and now we're at Skywalker Ranch with a 95-piece orchestra and they're recording a game score. And, <laughs> and that's what it was. It's and a beautiful I, thing, isn't it? In a, I can't imagine what the budget was. I mean, you know, the musicians alone are probably, you know, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a day, easy, you know, so a big score, right? Uh-huh. And, right. you know, huge team of people. And we all hug, you know, and it's like old home week. And, and it, yeah, it turned out to be a PlayStation game that they were working on. Oh, I'm watching awesome. the composer who's conducting. And he is young. And he looks like Beethoven. He's got long hair and beard. And and he's incredible. And the music's amazing. This and this guy is so comfortable on the podium at an early age. And you just don't get to the podium of any orchestra, you know, without having serious chops. So I'm sitting there and I asked the guy next to me, I said, I'm sorry, but who is this? Who is this, you know, young man? And he said, it's Bear McCreary. <laughs> oh. So my, my, you know, my mind is racing. I'm thinking, I, I know that name. Where do I know that name from? And and sure enough, I remember, oh, Battlestar Galactica, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he writes the music for that. And so... I'm the only guest there, and I decided at the break, I asked Leslie Ann, I said, should I go and introduce myself just so he knows I'm here? Because it's a closed session. If he didn't want me there, I'd have to leave. And I was totally comfortable with that, you know? So I walk out on the stage while the orchestra's taking a break, and I walk up to the podium, and I, his head's down, he's making notes on his score, you know? And he, he literally looked like he was channeling, you know, Mozart or something. <laughs> and... And I, I reach out my hand. I said, hi, I'm Spencer Nelson. I'm a friend of Leslie Ann Jones. She said I could sit in. I hope that's okay. And he just kind of turns his head and looks at me through his hair hanging in his face and everything. And and he just has this weird look on his face. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going home. You know, it was fun to be here. But 
And so I, I, I nervously kind of said, well, I wrote some game music, you know, back in the day. And he stands up, he sticks his hand out, and he says, Echo the Dolphin 1 and 2, Sonic CD, Batman Returns, Batman and Robin. And he starts reaching for his phone, and he's dialing his phone. He said, my brother is going to freak out. <laughs> and he comes, gives me a big hug. And he goes, okay, we're going to lunch, you know, and come with me. We're going to go have lunch up at George's house, you know, George Lucas's place up there. And, and from that moment forward, I was by his side for the next couple few hours. He was asking me questions like you guys are asking me questions. What were you doing then? And what were you thinking of then? And blah, 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 blah. And long story short, and end this story, we're walking back to the recording stage, and he calls me back. I'm standing talking with my friends that I've you know reconnected with. And we're in the middle of the beautiful vineyard, you know, walking back to the incredible recording studio. And and uh, he calls me back, and with a little bit of tear in his eye, he looks at me and says, I may never meet you again, but you're one of the reasons I'm here. Wow. You know, That's awesome. He said, the yeah, he said, the music that you wrote affected my brother and I so much when we were young that it changed the course of our lives. We, we became professional musicians, both of them. And you know how huge Bear is now. I mean, Yeah, to have Bear McCreary say that to you, oh, <laughs> that's something I special, got, man. I tear up every time I tell the story because of how it affected me. And he's become like a mentor to me. He's, he's 20 years younger than I am. But the work that he does on The Walking Dead and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Black Sails yeah. and Outlander and... I mean, the guy is unbelievably talented, and the fact that he said that to me, you know, when I was just in crazy land trying to get stuff done and get the next game started, and here it's affecting this young kid who's going through a bunch of personal stuff at 12 years old up in a little tiny town in Washington, and it changes his, the course of his life, or helps to, you know? Yeah. yeah. You never and know who's going to pick up those soundtracks and those games. And, th and that's the, the power of good music, you know? Yeah, and mm -hmm. I, I think I think we all we all in some way have been influenced by by music, especially video game music. Uh, for those <laughs> uh, in the in the room and those listening to us, so so uh, yeah, that's that's an amazing story. I'm it's sure it's I, well, I'm we, sure we it's something to tell to tell for years to come. Well, it's we're friends to this day, and and I mean the guy is an amazing person too. He's really come a long way as a as a father and a. You know, and I love watching people, you know, mature and develop. And, you know, every time a new soundtrack album comes out of his, it shows up in my mailbox with a personal note from him. I can't imagine <laughs> how many thousands of people are on that, you know, that list of his. And, and the fact that he writes a little personal note or invites me to his birthday party or something is just, it's really humbling. And it's a, it's a good feeling. It, it's all worth yeah. it. You know, all the pain that you go through to do this, this thing we call music and art. You know what we all do as creative people when that kind of thing happens or i i lecture to a classroom and they, they you know they can connect to me even though i'm much older than they are through my music that's a huge gift yeah you know, that's yeah. something that so many people would you know just relish so i i cherish it every day it's a it's been an honor you know it really has mm -hmm. yeah, it really is an industry filled with great people that's just oh, what i've sure slowly learned over the years yeah, yeah yeah i totally agree with you when i would go to tommy tellerico's um video games live um yeah he would invite he would invite me as a guest or something and i would go when they were in town or i even went to la once to do one and you know they do this red carpet afterwards where we would you know 
different you know composers and and uh, different people connected to the industry would sign autographs and things and these kids and and adults would line up till 2 a.m around the block to yep. come and chat and i mean kids would have me sign their your their game machines and you know, one guy was in full costume. I mean, I don't even know what character he was, but he was big and scary, right? You know, <laughs> huge sword and silver wig and makeup, and uh, he was a he was playing some character, but he had this little tiny voice, and he ended up pulling out, you know, hermetically sealed, you know, packaging from everything I'd ever done. Half the stuff I didn't remember doing, <laughs> you know. But he had collected it all like comic books, you know, and had me sign across the cover. He carefully put it back into his backpack, like it was, like it was, you know some sort of scripture from 5,000 years ago. It's amazing. Awesome. So I'm just always blown away with the, yeah. the energy and the, you know. And so all, all those years back, uh, this video game thing is just going to last like six months yeah. or so. Yeah. How long is this going to last? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm I'm so upset because of, of of my clock in front of me. It's telling me, you know, it's it's a bit late. Uh, we agreed on uh, about an hour of, of interview. Uh, you've got so many great stories. Um, I've I've got I've just got a text so that said that my meeting's been pushed back literally. Oh. So I can go probably till twelve. Are 120, 125? Okay, so we still we time? still have time for. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more question that we were sent by by someone by a good friend of ours, uh, Clayman. He runs a website called Caverns of Hope. It's an Echo the Dolphin fan site, um, oh, nice. and he has a, a, a specific question about um, the Echo One soundtrack. Because okay. um, I, I actually wonder about this too. Uh, did you have any influence in the composition process of the Genesis version of the soundtrack to Echo One? Um, um, because I, I think they, they, he he seems to have read somewhere that uh, your soundtrack was supposed to be the basis of the the cheap tune version. Not sure if that's true. Yes, the, the way I understand how that worked. Ed Annunziata um, has a has a group in Hungary. I think they're called Nova Studios, something like that. I don't remember, but mm -hmm. they are the ones who did develop the game in Nova uh, Trade, Budapest, Hungary. Nova Trade, thank yeah. you. And and we exchanged. Um, I I would send them some of my MIDI files. We were on such an you know we were on a um, parallel track on on the. Um, cartridge version and you know that was one of the early Sega CD releases um, which required a full Red Book audio soundtrack you know fully recorded you know musicians mm -hmm. studios the whole thing and so I would give them you know some of my sketches and some of my compositional ideas as MIDI files and then they they worked with those developed some of them you know more wholly and holistically and then others they you know developed you know just off of ideas and, and some of the textures I was using and did their own layers and comp you know and, and compositions but many of them as far as i remember were based on on my midi files oh okay um, so but it was a joint effort because we were i was mo more of my charge was the cd mm -hmm. um, because that had to be a big you know lavish um, mm -hmm. experience because it was helping to launch this platform and of course a big part of that platform was full red book audio So that was that was a big part of our our you know marching orders was to yep. focus on that, but help these guys at Nova Trade if if they need it, and also you know if you can get, provide them with with music that they can work with. So that was that was how we 
Yeah, and probably that that happened with Echo too as well, right? Uh, yes, and and uh, yeah, exactly, and to a lesser degree because I'm not. Was Echo two also released on on cartridge? Yeah, I yeah. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Okay, then yeah, then it was it worked the same way. Yeah, I think I think the the, the second one is actually sounds a bit more similar to the the CD version. Yeah. Uh, the the first one I, had a couple of tracks that you you noticed some similarity, but the second one I think is the most most similar. Of, of yeah, and of we already yeah. had the first one under our belt, so we yeah. kind of had a, yeah. established a yeah, <laughs> exactly. we established kind of a yeah. a, a tone. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Owen was you asked uh, a while back. Um, what were the main inspirations behind the the soundtracks to both uh, Echo games, the Mega City versions? Well, I I am a huge and especially then I, you know big big fan of, of synthesized music, not in the sense of like dance synthesizers and things, but creating natural, organic textures mm-hmm. using synthesis processing, um, sampling, that type of thing. So I already loved that world. I grew up listening to Tomita and to. Um, you know, Wendy Carlos and, and uh, you know, and then more popular groups like, uh, you know, King Crimson and, you know, people who are really kind of delving into, you know, Genesis, people are delving into thick, kind of rich textures and synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And I was working on, you know, big moogs and you know, synthesizers that were as big as this room, <laughs> um, you know, getting, you know, tweaking sounds and running patch cables and literally running tape loops around the room off of mic stands and... So I was really into that kind of an approach. And when Ed came to me and said, I want everything to be, you know, something like you've never heard before, that was like, you know, just kid in a candy store. So I I hired um, a group of great, great musicians who are also great programmers of, of sounds, you know, synthesis, not, not, not coders, but people who program synthesizers and keyboards and wrote sounds and created textures and they created a whole palette of instruments before I even started writing. And then, you know, once we had this amazing palette and there's a there's a picture floating around that was taken by the the, the manufacturer of the, the recording console that we were using at the time called the Euphonics. And we were one of the early users of this massive, really cool digital analog mix of a board. And there's a picture of us working on the soundtrack to Echo and It's a huge space, the room. And I swear to God, it's full of keyboards and synthesizers. There's every square inch of it. And it, and some of this stuff is going down live because we're mixing using cue sound. We're moving sounds around the room, around the player. And so, you know, talk about a lot of tracks. And, and again, a lot of it firing live. So, you know, you're hearing these synthesizers and, and, and along with, you know, real drums and real, um, you know, we had a wind synthesis player that came up from LA that played those amazing drone like sounds that are live. He's a trumpetist, but we, we, you know, we tweaked the synthesizer controller that he used. He would blow through it and play the valves like a trumpet, but it was just triggering synth- synthesizers and samplers. And that's, this is how we awesome. got those amazing <laughs> textures that to this day I've never heard anything really like it, you know? Yeah. So th- that explains. Uh, why the the soundtrack or both soundtracks sound so unique, you know? They're, yeah, they're really yeah, a yeah, real so much dedication, like to that to the vibe that game is going for. It's you know, it's 
Well, just, Ed, you know, Ed Annunziata, another guy you guys should interview sometime. He's a he's a great guy and and so talented and a, the body of work that he's had over the years is just amazing. Um, but you know, he was very he's very serious about the story and and the character development. And so there was, you know, it was him that said no, dude, I don't want any big electric guitars. You know, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want you to be able to tell that that you know that that's a um, you know a Wurlitzer electric piano. You know what I mean? He, he's like, I really want this to be a world that no one's ever experienced before. Because it wasn't <laughs> just about being under the sea. It was about alien abduction. It was about yeah. all kinds of different you know story subplots and subtext that. You know, I needed to be moved by if I was going to play it for hours at a time. It's one of the hardest games ever made. I've heard mm. people call it. Uh, you know, as far as some people, the some people say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am terrible at Echo. That's the oh, main reason. I, I'm not I was, I was music. as a kid. <laughs> I, I've gotten. Better. I think I, you know, I think I heard you know maybe two of my pieces actually off the game because I could never yeah. get it. Further, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, so Ed, you know, Ed was adamant that we we really pushed the envelope. And again, we had had some hits by then, so we had the backing of the of the entire company. Um, you know, we we had adequate equipment, we had adequate workforce, and and um, you know, I mean, we weren't we weren't burning money, we weren't throwing it away by any means. I, I've always treated my budgets as if it's coming out of my own pocket, you know, because. That's really the only way you you, you you know maintain respect and get called mm -hmm. again. And, yeah, you know you really got to be you, you can't just go open checkbook on this stuff. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, so we were always very conscientious about the schedule and about being professional, and it and, and it pays off. You know, later in life, you don't want to be burning bridges by cutting corners and not paying people or you know cheating people out of what you promised them or whatever, because that stuff happens readily throughout you know the entertainment industry and. Not, not my house, you know, not my backyard. That was a big part of why I think people like to work with us, and, and we had a lot of fun. Fun has to be a part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can't be all stress. It can't be all money. Exactly. It can't be all, you know, fame well, and, and fortune. It has even, to be fun. Yeah. I mean, we're making, you know, games for God's sake, you know? So Even in my extremely limited experience of making music, if I'm not in the right headspace, if I'm not there for a reason, and my, you know, our, my emotions are high for this new adventure to go on, it's not, it's not going to work. The pieces don't come together uh, if you don't have a, a vision. You know, and it's, it's, it's one thing when you're doing it for, you know, because you just love music and you like to write. It's another thing when, when you've got, you know, a, uh, a release date breathing down your throat. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. You know, you have to trust your instincts. It's not always going to be gone with the wind. You know, you're not always going to write, you know, the next, you know, song that becomes, you know, a, a, a hit like the Beatles or something. But you have to believe in what you what you do. You have to believe that people hired you because they believe in what you can do. And the rest of it has to be you have to produce. You know, I, I the, the you know, the the uh, advice that I like to give students who are, you know, in the moving into the professional realms that I've been working in for so long is don't get caught up in in you know in the love for the thing you know you've you've got you're being you know as a professional if you're a hobbyist uh -huh. take all the time in the world to write your great american song or or novel okay. or whatever it is but if you're being paid and there's a schedule and there's a deadline and it's a pipeline industry meaning you you're part of a pipeline and everyone along the line's got to do their job and get it done um you know you've got to just trust your gut and know you're doing the best you can and and just 
you know, just hope that it's going to connect with people and it's going to it's going to fulfill the needs of the overall project more than your ego. And mm-hmm. once you get into that headspace, then it's like, okay, this feels right. Roll, you know, let's go. Get you know, call the guys in or you know, get in the booth. Let's let's roll with this. Let's not. I, I tell the students the worst thing you can do is get analysis paralysis. You know, you can't analyze things to the point where now you can't decide um, because too many you have too many choices on your plate. Yeah. You have to you have to just you know you're you're you know the right answer in the first three to five seconds of taking the decision. It's whether you trust that or not. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you learn to trust it more. That's all. <laughs> The decisions that's aren't any easy. That's some like, yeah. profoundly good advice that I'd never quite thought in those terms before. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, you know, again, you know, if you live long enough, and I'm not old, I'm in my 50s, you know, but, you know, enough experience. I've been doing this now professionally for over 40 years. So, yeah. you know, from that standpoint, pick up some yes, if you just open your ears and close your mouth, there is so much information, so much opportunity, and I, I try to tell young people who want to do what I've been doing, then the best thing you can do is stop trying to tell people how great you are and how oh, yeah. much you, you know, want to do what they do. Just have a big smile on your face, be all ears, do anything you need to do to, to, you know, to move forward. And that includes cleaning bathrooms and getting people coffee and all the things that you don't want to believe you really are going to have to do because that's a big part of it. Because what that does is it secures people about that you're secure about yourself. If you have a big problem stepping below what you think is your, you know, God given right to help somebody else in some way, even if it's petty. Mm-hmm. Then that tells the, the person a lot about you. Yeah. You know, I, I was the president of Expression College. It's a, um, a digital arts college here on the West Coast. I don't know where you guys are, so I kind of feel a little bit <laughs> out of, uh, you know, out of sorts. But anyway, it's here in the Bay Area. It's a digital arts college. It's pretty well known now. I, I was president for, for six years, and, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And it's how I know about a lot of this stuff, you know, I'm, I'm teaching kids who are going out into that, into the, into the workspace, doing big films, big games, big records. Um, and uh, again, a lot of people think, you know, that just be having the desire is enough for people to just expect and, and trust you. And so one of our best valedictorians ever in, in animation was one of the first people ever to be hired right out of school by Pixar. And Pixar was literally, you know, blocks away from where the college is. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what I when I tell students and they go, oh yeah, that's my dream job, you know, animating for Pixar. I said, but he wasn't hired as an animator; <laughs> he was hired into the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why do you think they hired him into the gift shop? And I get a bunch of blank stares, typically, you know. But it's so that they can see what his character is like. Yeah. If it would fit for the the Pixar culture, if he is self-absorbed and, 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 you know, when people say, how do you like working here? He says, oh, I hate the gift shop. I really should be upstairs in the animation department, you know? (laughs) But of course they have plans to move him up to the animation department if he passes the test. You know, that just goes right. It goes right back to what we were saying before, the industry being filled with good people. It's also a self-selecting industry, right? So the good people, you know, oftentimes come to the top because other good people want them there exactly steven that's a great point because what happens is 
um, people want good people around them. It makes them work better. It makes them look better. Um, and a lot of that starts at, at a personal level. I tell the students, it's never, ever, ever been about the gear and it never will be. The success in, in the entertainment industry is built on stories. And how you tell that story, whether it's a song played on a ukulele or with a 95-piece orchestra, it's it's got to be a good song. It's got to be a good story. If it's not a good story, you can't polish the turd. You can put a 95-piece <laughs> orchestra on it, and it's still going to smell like a bad song, <laughs> right? So, you know, the, the key is work on authentic stories, whether in a rap or a short film or an, a character. I'll give you an example. We had, um, you know, people from Pixar, ILM, Lucasfilm, all the local Bay Area, you know, super powerhouses in our industries sit on our, our you know, our committees that would look at our students' work every, twice a year and, and look at our curriculum and look at our facilities and give us really, you know, raw feedback. And we were showing these Pixar ILM folks our best of the best in the animation and the game programs. And there'd be a, you know, a three-headed monster with big swords and he'd be walking with weapons and he'd be, be doing, going through this walk cycle. He'd walk towards them, you know, from the left, from the right, walk away. Mm. Incredible art, you know, beautiful textures, gorgeous, you know, uh, you know, it, it all worked. These guys, you know, these and girls knew what they were doing. They were doing well. And I'd look at the people from Pixar and ILM in the audience. They'd be looking at their watches. They'd be fumbling around, checking their email. And I'd, I'd freak out at first, like, oh, my God, this is the these are the best people in the class. Uh -huh. And then some little hand drawn stop motion pencil on paper, you know, little 40 second animation of a little girl skipping down the road, finds a shiny penny, picks it up, drops it in the machine. Out of the machine comes a, a balloon. She grabs a balloon. The balloon takes her off. And, and that's the end. And they're like, show that one again. Who's that? When do they graduate? Right? Yeah, because no kidding. It was a story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they connected with it. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, and they saw that through a few pencil strokes, this person could tell a story. So all of that texturing and lighting, you know, three-headed monster design. But who cares if the monster isn't somehow provoking you? to yeah, do something to, to have a, yeah mm -hmm. to have an emotional reaction yeah. or you know be afraid or laugh or but just this thing walking in a cycle does nothing to entertain us yeah. right so same thing with music you, you can't go okay then i need you know i need that equipment and i need that gear i can't do it and then you know pro tools 10.8.6 if i can't have that i can't work you know that doesn't fly you know you have to be you know, okay, what do we have to work with? All right, two cans and a string. Great, hmm. let's make a record. You know, sometimes that's the best thing that can ever happen to you, right? It forces oh. you to be creative. Exactly, oh. yeah. That's what would happen with with early video game music. People had to be creative mm, with limited resources they had. Might be one reason why we remember those melodies so much. Exactly. So much so. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're running out of time, Spencer. So mm. before you go, though, uh, and... Um, you know, we usually have a music break in between these two segments of the show, but you know, time uh, is running out, and so we don't want to leave you or to let you leave without a surprise. 
I think Steven knows what the surprise is, but uh, you don't. I like surprises, I think. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> it think. Depends on the surprise. You think. So, um, without further ado, uh, I'll just play the intro to something we like to call the Sega Lounge Challenge. Now, you know our guests. They're amazing. They're stars. But are they ready for the Sega Lounge Challenge? It can be a quiz in reverse music. It can be anything we want. Welcome, welcome to your doom. I mean, welcome to the Sega Lounge Challenge. So, no pressure. Uh, just a fun yeah. surprise. <laughs> so, uh, Spencer. I'm already terrified. <laughs> I am too. This is like, are you smarter than a nine-year-old or whatever that show is called? I'm really afraid that I'm not. So, so you know, as the intro said, uh, it can be anything we want. Uh, I had a, a few, uh, you know, challenges here, but since we're uh, running out of time, I'm gonna just pick a couple of them. This week we have the Spencer Nielsen edition of In Reverse. So, oh, Spencer, God. can you recognize your own tracks? When played in reverse, that's the big question. Can I? Can, do I have to identify them by name, or can I at least just identify them by game? Just the game. Just the game will be. Oh, enough. thank God. Okay, okay, so you get bonus points. Yeah. Zero. Points. Yeah. Right. There's no I'm way because they, they would change the name of the song six times before it got to the game, and I had no idea. You know, my my name would be track fourteen version. You know, three A slash no drum. That would have been my name. <laughs> No, just just the game will be enough. Just the game will okay. be enough. So Thanks. let's let's Thank you. let's just uh, jump into this, the first one. Um, th these are ten uh, second long clips of your tracks. Okay. Okay. So not too long. Let's take a listen to no the problem. first one. Easy, right? Spider-Man versus Kingpin. Are you sure? Oh, that's what, that was my guess. If it makes you feel better. Uh, yes. Let's see if the, the man is. Answer. Let's see if the man's right. And he is. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. that was Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man versus the Kingpin track three. At least that's what I, I have here. So that's yeah. that's correct. Let's go with something else. Let's go with, um, yeah. L let's go with with something different now. So what I have here are two different tracks from uh, Sonic City. One is the US version, and one is the Japanese version. Can you identify which one is the US version? Let's play the first one. Do I need to play the other one? Uh, no, that's that's the American version. That's that's my track. yeah. The vocals are the dead giveaway. <laughs> Gives it away. Dead giveaway. <laughs> I even know the song. Yeah, let's 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 play it not in reverse then. 
There we go. So, Palm Tree Panic, the good mix. Um, yeah, I was gonna say Palm Trees. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a. I feel like I need a pina colada now. <laughs> <laughs> That's your reward. You, if you get enough questions that, right. Yeah, you you did say in the opening that I should grab a drink, which I didn't do because it's you know it's barely morning here. So. <laughs> yeah, you know. So maybe I'm ready. Now. That doesn't yeah. stop some people. Uh, no, it's true. <laughs> Uh, let's enough. let's go with let's go in one last one. I think this is a a, a great one. Let's see if the, I'm not sure if people listening to us will recognize this one. Let's see. Let's oh. go with this one. Yeah, subliminal messages there. I know that. Uh, <laughs> so you stumped me. I don't know this one. This is a tricky one. This is I a tricky one. I recognize it. Um, that's that is that is the bygone dogs on um, uh, that race that driving game that, that we did the soundtrack for. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the game. It's a sled game or something or something. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's called Cy- Cyber Speedway. Cyber Speedway, bingo! So, this is a track called Tabitha. Nope, whoops, no, not this one. This is the universe version. This one. When she goes out, you know she's looking fine. She's on my mind, but Tabitha, driving me wild. Yeah, so Tabitha. Good call! By the bike on dogs. Uh, and that l- leads me to. Uh, one of our final questions because and a big shout out to uh, Bill Gross from the forums the Radio Sega forums he sent me a a message this morning uh, and he wanted me to ask you about uh, the bygone dogs what's happened to the bygone dogs and um, what's the story behind the band in in like two minutes or so yeah that's uh, (laughs) that's great I'm I'm so glad you, you brought that up because that was when we were you know cooking along as as a Sega Music Group and Bygone Dogs were actually our first signing of a band. Ooh! And I had been introduced to them from another producer within um, Sega Studios, who's I think his cousin was dating the lead singer guitar player, and that's how I got to meet them. And I literally had them come in the studio and do a showcase for us. And we really liked the vibe and the energy of the band. And, and the producer working on Cyber Speedway wanted to have a soundtrack album. You know, he wanted a band to do the the songs and. Um, so it was a good fit, and I began to work with them, and, and we replaced the drummer with a close friend of mine who I had worked with in San Diego for years, and he was a good fit for the band. And we we did the soundtrack as well as the album. And, um, you know, the, the, the unfortunate part of this story, there's a couple of unfortunate parts of the story, but literally the week that we released the album, Sega imploded. And Ooh. Sega Music Group as, a, as an entity was put on hold, and the record never made it to, you know, the record stores. Oh, and bad timing. it was a tragedy because now, you know, the, the record basically exists within that one game, obscure game that, you know, probably hardly anyone played. Um, and not everything is on there from the record, of course. Uh, and it's a brilliant record, um, meaning the band was fantastic. You know, we had some just some killer tracks. and. And then I, I just found out recently uh, that the lead singer guitar player passed away, and 
is no longer with us. He there was mm. I, I don't know if it was mm. an illness or what, but yeah. So the, you know, the band when when the record didn't come out, the band just kind of dis- dissipated as they all do, and other you know they joined other bands and things. And it was it was probably one of the harder you know parts of the end of that Sega story uh, for me because we had put so much energy in not only the band but music videos and the game soundtrack, and for it to all come kind of crumbling down was a real. Yeah. A real disappointment. And but, you know, and you I know don't something. Something said about down. about that is that um, the, the 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 soundtrack, the official soundtrack, was released on CD in Japan, but without the Bygone Dogs tracks. So um, oh, yeah. it was was released under the, the the Japanese name of the game, Grand Chaser. Um, okay. And uh, the only that. the only you know uh, record that contains two of the tracks by the bygone dogs uh, is the that that one that i mentioned in the beginning sega power cuts yep. volume one that's a shame which was just a pro- yeah it was just a promotional disc that i put together you know with the with the rest of the musical team there and um you know for one of our big shows that we were going to it's just a promotion which was you know really unfortunate because that we had signed a distribution deal with polygram which was the largest record company on the planet then i mean we were really poised to do some great stuff you know Um, we did put out the Echo, you know, Songs of Time, which was mm-hmm. the one and two combinations from the from the Sega CD game. So I was happy that that actually saw the light of day for you know for a couple of months. But um, yeah, that was a that was an unfortunate and still kind of a difficult thing to swallow because it, we, everyone put so much energy into that. And you can imagine how disappointed yeah. the band was mm-hmm. um, after that long you know haul. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, that's the that's the entertainment industry and. Those things happen, and, and uh, you got to press on. And you know, I think everyone was, you know, everyone's uh, heart was in the right place. Everyone's intentions were right, and it just sometimes the rug gets pulled out from under you, and you, uh, mm-hmm. you shake, you know, shake off the dirt, and, and, and you, you heal and you move on, you know, yeah. to the next project. So, mm-hmm. just unfortunate things that happen, but uh, it was a great experience for all of us involved, and, and I love that record. I'll, I'll pull it out, and crank it up, and it's a. It's a hell of a rock record. It really is. It's a, mm-hmm. I think the people working on that did a great job. Awesome yeah. stuff. Um, by the way, uh, Trini asked uh, in the beginning of the show, actually, uh, are you still uh, in good terms with, with Sega? Or Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm meaning that you know, Sega is a completely different beast now. Um, yeah. They're basically a publisher of games for other platforms. You know, no, no, no hardware, of course. Um, and I've I've remained close with friends within the organization, but it's pretty much a whole new crop of people now. Um, mm-hmm. Very few people that I worked with directly at Sega are still there. Many of them moved on to start their own companies or work for, you know, PlayStation and somebody else. You know, uh, so. Uh, but my, I've always had a great relationship with them. Uh, Ed and I are actually working on some new stuff together that may or may not involve Sega, but you know, uh, with all the best intentions, we're moving Ooh. forward with some projects. And, yeah, exciting Such stuff. A tease. And, and, uh, I know I can't tell you anymore because there's no more to tell. But but you know, all good. Uh, I, I've always had a great you know respect and a great fondness for the time that I had at Sega and the opportunities that I was given, and you know, it helped me evolve as a as a creative artist and a producer and a, and a and a business person you know i learned so much while i was there and they gave me a lot of room mm-hmm. to 
to grow. And they mentored me a lot. You know, like I said, I didn't know anything. I, I was the stupidest person in the room, and and um, and they they had patience with me and, and knew that I would eventually blossom with you know writing some good music for them, and that it all worked out in the end. So it was all good. Yeah, that's that's good to know. Um, Billy, Billy or Bill Gross, actually, uh, Billy's son in the in the Radio Sega forums, also asked if you have any of your current works for sale somewhere. Uh, you know, I don't personally sell my own work right now. Uh, I'm glad you asked because I actually have a couple of really exciting personal things that aren't game related in the works. I'm, I'm working. I'm writing a like a rock opera, um, which I'm pretty excited about. And I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of getting back into my songwriting, your early work. And so I'm writing a lot of songs and, and going to be performing live and, um, you know, in different cities, which I'm excited about. And I may work some game music into that. It's still kind of a big question mark based on the copyrights and all that other stuff. But regardless, you know, my music is my music and, you know, people will probably hear game music within my songs and vice versa. So, mm -hmm. um, But yeah, working on some exciting projects. I'm going to be putting up a website that'll just be spencermilson.com in the next couple of months um, that will reflect all this stuff that I'm talking about. And uh, you know, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of coming out of retirement musically because I, I yeah, have been doing this so is exciting. Many, yeah, I've been doing so many other things that have related to music but have not been directly me writing music. And, and I've enjoyed that portion of my life, but I'm, I can't tell you how ecstatic I am to be back into writing music. 100% of the time, well, not 100% of the time, but a big chunk of the time and mm -hmm. opening a new studio and, you know, basically, you know, getting back into that passion of mine that, you know, never really left, but you do other things in your life and you, you go down different paths. And I've learned a lot. I still love being behind the camera and working on several film projects right now and some virtual reality stuff. And so I love that too, uh, but I'm happy to be writing professionally again and, and uh, you know, I hope that I have some good stuff for you guys to, to chat about later on. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, that, that's, yeah that's, that's, that's the date. You have to come back on the Sega Launch because we, we have I'd so much to. talk about yeah, still. Yeah, I went off in some tangents, so and I'd love you're, to come you're back. A, you're a great storyteller, by the way, so come back anytime. Oh, yeah. You're more than welcome to come back. Uh, by the way, someone on Twitter said uh, they would read a book by, by Spencer Nielsen on his <laughs> history in the industry if he ever writes one. Uh, Dungeon Buster on Twitter said that. that. Yeah, That's a cool idea. So You, you know, know, it's funny because I, I actually started putting something together um, just for fun when I got into iBook and iAuthor, you know, for iBook. Um, it was so much fun to, to just, you know, put little links down within the pages of the you know the, the ebook and and pictures and and so i started you know kind of summing up because people have asked you know me that before and i've been i i guess some of my story has appeared in other people's books you know about the industry um which is is cool but yeah there's some great stories that we hadn't even begun to talk about that i think would make you know fun fodder for you know a, a short you know book on on the on that era because there was a lot of fun stuff going on and great people and yeah you know, breaking yeah. some ground that at the time you don't even realize you're doing you know, like we talked uh -huh, about earlier exactly so, yeah. yeah that's that's the, the fun part of it looking back and seeing what you've accomplished uh, yeah um, well stay posted like i said i'll i'll you know off offline I'll, i'll you know give you guys the the contact information and, and i'll keep let you let you know when things are happening and and i've got you know the site up and I'm sure there'll be music there and, and awesome. all kinds of fun stuff 
going on and you know possibly do some of this uh you know retrospective stuff so i'll keep you posted amazing so Spencer, it's been it's been so fun having you on on the Sega Lounge. It's been a privilege. As I said in the beginning, I'm you know I'm I'm in my 30s now, so you know some people are oh, legends, Sega legends now, and it's it's an honor to just uh, have you on the show, be able to talk to you for for a little while and uh, f to listen to you share those amazing stories. So thank you so much for for coming on the show. And as I said, you're welcome anytime. Just come back and talk to us a little bit more. Well, thank you, Casey. It really has been an honor and a, and a, a privilege, a lot of fun. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I think it's really fun to to remember and also to you know to give people a little be you know a little insight on on what's really going on and, and how things came together. And I think a lot of times we have big ideas in our head, and, and when we hear the real story, it's like ah, oh, that's kind of disappointing. You know, they're just real people. <laughs> You know, yeah, working their butts off to try to get stuff done. But, you know, I mean, there is some magic moments and, and you don't know that at the time until you, I mean, you do, you get the, you know, you get the hair going up on your arms and stuff when something great happens in the studio. Um, I never get tired of that. <laughs> I never get tired of that, you know, ne never knowing what really is going to connect with people. And that's why I'm excited to be, you know, kind of jumping back in and doing some games and, and um, you know, bringing to what I can. Um, not trying to sound like anybody else and uh, and just make music because I've done it since I was a little, little, little child and I'm going to continue doing it until I'm an old, old, old man. You know, and, <laughs> you, know you just kind of, you got to just keep doing the things that make you happy and that seem to connect you more to other people and that's, uh, that's where, that's, yeah, that's your, you know, that's the meaningful part of your life and, and sometimes we work jobs that maybe aren't so meaningful but we have it still this, this thing that we can do that makes it special and that's the way I feel about music whether I'm being paid to do it or I'm just doing it for you know the, the sake of getting my my cat's attention or something. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and I, I do. I appreciate, I appreciate you tracking me down and, and making it so easy for me to get on here and do this. And uh, you know, you know, I, I never thought you, you'd reply because I, I we, we connected via social media that I, that I barely use. So mm. it was the, the only <laughs> one I, I found you on. Um, well, it's it, so, it's yeah. worked well because. Yeah, that that it. I was thinking about that. How hard it would have been for us to connect to people, especially within a yeah. an industry like this, without it. I mean, you'd have yeah. to know somebody who knew somebody who called their secretary, maybe took your name and number, maybe somebody is going to get back to you. Yeah. But I like to respond to people who we have a common interest and in something, somebody that was potentially you know affected in a good way by something that I did. So. I love hearing from people. And I'll, I'll tell you this one story before we check out, just to give it perspective. I was, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I still get, a, you know, a number of, of fan, you know, reach outs, whether it's through social media or email or something like that or LinkedIn or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and this one young person from, turns out from South America with broken English reached out and, And said, actually, he wasn't so young, but he had, you know, he was now an adult, but he'd loved the music I'd done for Batman in particular, Batman Returns. And, and in honor of that, he wanted to send me a video. And so now I, that's why I said, I don't know if I like surprises because it was like, do I click on it or don't I click on it? <laughs> right. Go very well or very poorly. Yeah. This could get weird really fast. <laughs> um, But I, I chose to click on it, and it, this young man, he was probably, you know, maybe now 30, late 20s, 
looked something like Jesus Christ. He had a long beard, long hair, and he was in robes, and he was doing an interpretive dance to the driving track, the big, you know, heavy guitar driving level of of Batman Returns, yeah. <laughs> and it was. It was almost as good as as you know um, Napoleon Dynamite's dance at the end of the movie. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> dance that he almost that good. And if that wasn't the ultimate, you know, form of of honor, as funny as it was, and as you know, I mean, it made me laugh so hard. Um, but the fact that he was dead serious and really, you know, wanted me to be honored by what he, you know, his interpretation of my music that I, they will always hold a place in my heart for just one of the weirder, you know, kind of send ups, um, and, uh, you know, honor of, of, uh, of something I've written. Yes. I don't think it'll, it'll ever get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. you know, no better Buenos story. Aires or, or wherever he, he was, you know, oh, little place. I, I thought he was from Brazil him. because we, we have, we have a Brazilian fan of, Uh, the Batman Returns soundtrack uh, talking to us on, on Twitter uh, he sadly he's missing most of the interview um, oh. so I, since I'm from Portugal uh, I might do something crazy and translate this whole thing and dub oh. it to Portuguese or something and, and send it to him yeah. because he's, he's really really asking us to do that because he's he loves your, your music he loves especially loves the Batman Returns soundtrack He's it's telling probably me. the same guy. Uh, I don't know. His name is Lucas. Lucas. So you know, I don't. He's Brazilian. I he doesn't look like like Jesus. So uh, not well, sure. Maybe not. And, and he looks a, a bit younger. Just a few years ago. So you know. Yeah, he change. looks a bit younger. So maybe not the same person. But uh, nonetheless, not. you have but you have awesome. uh, lots of fans in in South America. So so yeah. Well, I absolutely love the um, the Portuguese language. And I'd spent some time in Portugal as a child, and it was life-changing. So anything really? translated into Portuguese, I'm a big fan of. I don't speak it. I love the we, sound. We should have done this in Portuguese then. Uh, oh, it's a beautiful, romantic language. I it really is. love the case. It it, it, it's the yeah. language of love. Uh, yeah, maybe my not. Father <laughs> took us, yeah, my dad took us to Portugal when I was a kid, uh, like 12, and Spain and North Africa, and it was life-changing. Mm -hmm. So I have a big, big place in my heart for Portugal, and I've always wanted to go to Brazil. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, you, well, you need to great. come back then. You need to come back. I do. You know, are, yeah. you in, in, are you in Portugal now? Yeah, I'm in Portugal. I'm a Portuguese wow. living in Portugal now, so... Which? Yeah. Which I'm, I'm near Lisbon, so okay. near the capital, so... If you ever Absolutely come by, cool. we'll do a, a, a live um, show, a live episode of the Sega Lounge huh. with the hey, two of us in the same me. room. You know, don't say it if you don't mean it. I mean it. I, I, might just <laughs> I have my little home studio here set up for nice. for live interviews if needed. So, awesome. you know. well, some of those fishing villages on the, the you know the northwest coast of Portugal are just some of the most amazing places I've ever seen. So. I I live in. Uh, Europe's first surf resort. It's called Idisei. Oh, nice! So if you like surfing, I'm a oh, I so surf. you you need to come and come by and surf. yeah, just just surf. You can surf. I I'll watch from the distance. Yeah, that 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 <laughs> might have just closed the deal. That might have just done the deal right there. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome stuff. So Spencer, All uh, right, guys. you you need to I'm go right. So a huge yeah. thank you 
or obrigado in Portuguese and um, obrigado yeah obrigado. we'll talk we'll talk soon for sure best of luck for your uh, future projects thank and you so much gentlemen Steven it was a pleasure Casey awesome to meet you and uh, we'll do it again yep for sure and we'll take All a right. quick music break we'll play one of Steven's non-Sega tracks we'll play uh, Deadly Erotica Ooh. from Crashing Eden Uh, a movie he did the, the score for and we'll also have another edition of A Winner Resume's Memories of Sega this week dedicated to the 8-bit version of Michael Jackson's Moonwalker we'll be right back with the news and more stick around this is the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega Ciao is Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7. Welcome, Welcome to the next level. From the 90s to the present, take a trip back in time with A Winner Was You, as he looks back at the Sega games that defined his life. Memories of Sega. Sega. 
based on the, shall we say, interesting movie of the same name, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker is a platformer released for the Sega Master System and the Mega Drive. It's Master System version we'll be looking at this week, and there's a fair bit to talk about. The story takes its inspiration from the second half of the movie, and sees Michael squaring up against a villain named Mr. Big, played by Joe Pesci in the movie. The gameplay is simple fair. In each level you have to open various stores in the hope of finding various kidnapped children. When all of the kids have been rescued, you then go to an endurance round where you have to defeat a big wave of enemies. There are five levels in all, each split into three sections, and each accompanied by a famous track from a man himself. Michael's range of moves is fairly limited. He can kick, punch, and perform a dance attack which wipes out all on-screen enemies at the cost of some of his health. However, by collecting a power-up, he can also use his hat as a projectile. My first encounter with this game was when I saw it on a Channel 4 kids show, Early Bird. How many nicest kids in the UK remember that one? Though this was before I really got into video games, I was still enough of an MJ fan to have an interest in it. I would finally get to own the game shortly after my birthday in 1992, when my mum got it for me with my birthday money. Despite the repetitive gameplay, I found myself enjoying the game quite a bit. The graphics were decent for the 8-bit machine, with a nice animation on Michael, and although the console sound chip could never really recreate those classic Jackson tunes perfectly, it still made a good effort. I certainly enjoyed the renditions. I got pretty far into the game pretty quickly, but came unstuck when I got to stage 4. Not because of a difficulty mind, no. What blocked my progress here was something far more irrational, something that really scared me a lot when I was younger. Spiders. Yep, I had a big fear of them when I was younger, and stage 4 of Moonwalker was full of the little buggers. This genuinely crippled my progress through the game. I really wanted to play the fifth and final stage, but my phobia stopped me from wanting to play any further through the game. But I still wanted to beat the game. So one day, I just went, sod it, and pushed my way through the level. In the end, I was able to beat both the stage and my arachnophobia. Now there's a double win if ever I saw one. Needless to say, these days I'm considerably less scared of spiders, and it's all because of this game. However, though I may have beaten my fear, I still haven't beaten the game. I still have one more level to complete first, or so I thought. I managed to clear the first two sections of level 5, setting Mr. Big's hideout, without much difficulty, and soon did the same with the third section, so I set the pad down expecting the ending, except it didn't come. It wasn't over yet. Nope, there was actually a sixth stage to clear as well, and this one was very different to the previous level. This level was split into two sections instead of the usual three. The first of these had you controlling Michael in his robot form. This was basically a shooting gallery, and you had to shoot a certain amount of enemies to clear the stage. Once that was done, it was on to the very last stage, where Michael turns into a fighter jet, as you do, and took on Mr. Big himself. And by Mr. Big, I mean a group of laser cannons which can only be hit when they opened up, about to fire. This level really annoyed me, actually. The cannons only opened up for a few seconds, and their shots had amazing tracking abilities. They could finish you off very quickly. But I persevered, thanks to the infinite continues, and I finally managed to win. I actually replayed the game a little last year, and the last two sections took almost as long to complete as it did to get through the rest of the game. Now that's all I have to say on the Master System version of Moonwalker, but we're not done with this game yet. Oh no. Next week, I'll be thinking back to the Mega Drive version of the game. See you then. Memories of Sega.
Yeah, the kid is not his son. Uh, Billy Jean from Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, the Master System version there, as picked by A Winner Was You, and that was episode number 5 of Memories of Sega, dedicated to the Master System version of Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Before that, we had Deadly Erotica from the independent film Crashing Eden, composed by Spencer Nielsen. And this was an amazing interview. I'm sure you'll agree, Stephen. No, no kidding. Like, you could have just had me show up, say three words, and just sit there and listen, and I would have been happy. <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> That's basically what happened, though. Uh, That's, yeah, for, actually, for both just... of us. For both of us. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I had this whole list of questions and topics, but you know, who cares? The guy's such a, a great storyteller. It's such an amazing yeah, time we, we had. He's got it covered. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I hope everyone uh, liked that that interview with Spencer Nielsen. Uh, it's now time for something different. So we usually start the show with the news, but since we had Spencer live on the show, we you know changed the order of the segments, and so we now have the news with my good buddy Stephen right here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Stephen, we have we have some news here. Uh, let's start from from the beginning. Something we actually didn't mention last week because we pre-recorded the show, uh, but this actually happened on the day of last week's episode, uh, and that is Adult Swim Games is publishing ToeJam and Earl back in the groove on PC and consoles. So yeah. this is a, a great great bit of news here. Um, are you familiar with the, the, the Back in the Groove uh, game? Yeah, as someone who's never actually played Toe Jam and Earl but has intended to for many years, I'm sort of uh, tangentially familiar with it. I'm glad it's making a comeback, though, and uh, it's kind of cool that Adult, Swim's, Adult Swim picked it up because they've done some pretty decent stuff in the video game scene, from mm-hmm. what I understand. Yeah, so and th- this means uh, the game is now being released on consoles. Uh, just like Greg Johnson intended in the beginning, but they never got the the necessary funding uh, through Kickstarter for for that stretch goal, and so this means it's uh, it's coming to consoles, which is great for me because I'm not a big PC gamer. Huh. So <laughs> I'm and also, this kind of feels right. Good old Toby yeah. and I'll hang out on consoles again for sure. Uh, yeah, well, Greg Johnson is coming back on on the the Sega Lounge soon, uh, so we'll. Uh, be sure to have more news on on the game very very soon Mm. Um, next bit of news uh, and this is something I'm not sure if you're excited about or not but Datadiscs have announced um, a new new vinyl release and it's uh, Golden X 1 and 2 music so yeah I would be curious to know if anyone listening um, likes to collect vinyl for any reason um, I, I love it as an art piece even though I don't have any way to put it to real use but um, yeah this whole news story is pretty is just conceptually exciting to me you know many of my followers or the people I follow uh, on Twitter uh, actually are uh, vinyl collectors because it, oh, cool. they went crazy with uh, the, the past seven uh, releases of data discs soundtracks uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's, yeah. if you've if you if you've been collecting the the whole data discs catalog uh, you now have a, a big chunk of Sega history in vinyl form because you have Shenmue yeah. Super Hang On uh, I think Outrun Streets of Rage Golden X 22 so you know amazing amazing releases and right there 
Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing you want to frame, right? Like, you guys got to <laughs> go look at the at the art for Golden Axe One and Two. It's beautiful. Yeah. Even even the discs it, uh, themselves are are amazing. You know. Yeah. The colors and the art in the discs is really nice. Lots of effort put into that for sure. Uh huh. Right. Um. Moving on, we have we have a Valkyria Asia Revolution. Uh, Jamie says in in Discord, don't forget Shinobi. No, I I will never forget oh, Shinobi. Never forget Shinobi. Never forget Shinobi. <laughs> Joe Musashi will kick my butt. Um, Valkyria Asia Revolution. So the the next game in the Valkyria Chronicles series. Are you familiar with Valkyria Chronicles? Have you played any of them? I love the first one and just am completely uninformed about the other. So take it away, Casey. Yeah. So uh, the first one uh, can can be you know acquired quite easily nowadays. We, you have it on Steam. Uh, it was released this earlier this year for the PS4, the remastered version. And the second one, uh, you can still get it uh, via the the PSN store for the Vita. It's a PSP game actually. Okay. I've been playing through the the game this this summer. It's nice. It's not as good as as the first one though but uh, mm -hmm. it's a, a really nice one there's the third one that never got uh, a western release but now we have Valkyria Asia Revolution that's going to be released uh, in Japan on January 19th for the PS4 and PS Vita this is okay. apparently um, you know a prequel to the whole series to Valkyria Chronicles the original one so Hopefully we'll get it in uh, in in Europe and the, the in North America. Uh, if if the, the the original, the remaster and the, the Steam version sold well as I think they did, maybe maybe oh, we'll get this. It would be yeah. nice. The game looks amazing. So hopefully, hopefully. Uh, next bit of news: uh, Sega 3D Archives 3 Final Stage. I like the name. Which we know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we know over here as uh, the 3D Classics Collection, but yeah. in Japan it's called 3D Archives. And the third volume uh, it was announced for Japan. And um, later on, apart from from some games that um, they announced uh, when they announced the game, uh, Super Hang On, Afterburner 2, uh, Streets of Rage 2, Gunstar Heroes, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And they announced there would be a couple of surprise games. One of them being, uh, we now know, Turbo Outrun. So, that's okay. nice. Turbo Outrun is a different kind of Outrun game. Uh, but it's a, a, a really nice one. And, um, you know, if, if they will give it the, the 3D Classics treatment, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So... Yeah, I've heard so many good things about the 3D classics. Like, I'm really glad they're doing that. Yeah, uh, they they actually you know add some really nifty options to the, the games, stuff like uh, as simple as you know having the the emulated um, soundtrack just to sound as exactly as if you were in a, an arcade um, in yeah. the in the 80s or 90s. You know, uh, you can tilt the screen of the Nintendo 3DS, and it'll be just like if you were playing in an actual machine. Um, so much stuff. They sometimes add new soundtrack or new music to the soundtrack. They, it's it's really nice. So I uh, urge everyone to get some of these 3D classics. And since the 3D Classics Collection is getting a, a release in Europe finally in in November, I think. Uh, all the more reason for European people to get 
some of these 3D classics. Now for uh, something a bit sad, mm. unfortunately. Uh, have you played the remake of Castle of Illusion, Steven? No, I have not, actually. Um, and it sounds like maybe I should have earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sega Australia, Sega Studios Australia, uh, their last game was Castle of Illusion Sorry, Mickey Mouse, 2013, I think, version. Uh, or 2012, can't remember right now. Um, which was a, a, an HD remake of the original game. A great one as well, with music by Grant Kirkhope. So that's that's something else that, that's a plus. But apparently the game uh, is to be delisted uh, tomorrow. Apparently September second. Yeah. Yeah. Such a bummer. Yes. It's it's so sad to see games start to disappear, right? Like they were within arm's reach just the other day, and then gone. Yeah. That that's the thing with uh, digital releases, you know. When games don't have a physical release, they can just be gone in in a yeah in a second. So I, but, I think uh, th there's an issue with the Disney license or something, and so yes. that's why yeah that stuff gets tangled up really really quickly, uh, from what I understand. But um, apparently, according to um, Larry Herb from uh, Microsoft, mm -hmm. um, th this game will be on the um, backwards compatibility list for the Xbox One. So there will be a way to play it, hopefully. Exactly. So if you own an Xbox One, uh, or or if you own a, a PS3 or Xbox or Steam, you can sure. still get the, the original today. <laughs> Not tomorrow, yeah, though, but just like, today. Right. <laughs> but if you own an Xbox Luckily, One, you can still play it. Yeah. Yeah. You got options, man. Uh huh. So don't be sad. Not just yet. <laughs> Uh, and finally, we have um, one final bit of news. Uh, Sony announced today their um, TGS 2016 lineup, Tokyo Game Show uh, lineup, which includes some Sega or Sega-related games. So we have uh, Yakuza 6, Valkyria Asia Revolution, Res Infinite, Hatsune Miku VR Future Live, they'll all be playable. Uh, if you're attending TGS, as I'm sure you probably are, Stephen. Oh, uh, absolutely. I never miss it except for all the times that I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, you need to hurry because you need to be uh, in Tokyo uh, starting September 15th. So I'm on it. Just go, man. Just go hey, now. I'll, I'll be there in spirit. Don't go worry now. about it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, this is a great news. I'm sure Sega will, will be attending as well um, mm -hmm. with their own booth, but at least Yakuza 6, uh, Valkyria, Asia Revolution, Res Infinite, Hatsune Miku, the VR version, uh, they'll all be playable uh, at the so Sony booth. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Sega fans have something to to look forward to. Awin you asked, did you say Hatsune Miku Future Wife? Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, that would it's be a future wife translation. Yeah, uh, for some it might seem like that, but no, it's uh, Hatsune Miku VR, a future live. So yeah, I know my Portuguese accent sometimes betrays me, but no, I didn't. Well, come say... on, guys, you're just hearing what you want to hear at this point. <laughs> exactly. Uh, on Twitter, Yusuf Atlani uh, sent us a picture uh, of his um, data disks collection 
So oh, cool. I'm just gonna retweet this, uh, and you can check it out for yourself. He's got Streets of Rage 2, Super Hang On, uh, something that I, uh, oh, Shinobi 3, Shenmue, and Streets of Rage, the original. Cool. One. So yeah, he's, he's got oh, both one and two for Streets of Rage. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. So yeah, and um, uh, finally, one one uh, short note: Hatsune Miku Project Eva X is out now in both North America and Europe. So, if you're into the Hatsune Miku thing, uh, you can get uh, the physical game in North America. And if you're an European set person like myself, you can get uh, the digital version of Hatsune Miku Project Eva X. So, so yeah. Um, we'll probably have um, a review of the game on the Sega Lounge in the coming weeks by by a guest. So if you're undecided oh, cool. about getting it or not, you should really uh, tune into the Sega Lounge soon and find out how the game is and what the game is about. So yeah, Stephen, I I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, uh, would you like to talk about your your own projects before you go? Oh yeah, man! I love self promotion. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> be I, humble. I am, Remember, be humble. I, oh, oh, right, right. I always forget that you told me that before the, we started recording. <clears throat> no, no, not so me. I, Spencer Nielsen told you. No, oh, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, so okay, I'm part of the Overclock Podcast. That's the official podcast of Overclock Remakes. You know, the big remix website out there. Um, I co-host with my brother Brian. You might have seen him on the show in the past as well. Um, and it's a really good time. We do a weekly show over there. We've got weekly interviews. We actually have a, um, a playlist segment where we have people submit their own favorite music based on a changing theme every week. It's just a super fun time. And if you want to go hang out with us, we can be friends. Yeah. Yeah. So there's people, my pitch. People can, uh, follow you guys on Twitter at OCR Podcast, is it? That is correct. Yeah, and so, and you can also, uh, if you if you're not as lazy as I am, you can go to radiosega.net, click the media button, and under the Sega Lounge, there is somewhere in there an episode with um, Stephen and Brian. Yeah, I say I'm lazy, but I just checked out uh, season two, episode twenty four. That's that's okay. the one, and you it can learn more about the Overclock podcast. You, you guys have been doing some um, really cool new segments on the show. I've been really enjoying them. So Thank you. Yeah, Keep up we've the good work. Some, some great guests. We can't take credit for all of that because we have some, some. We have a lot of help. But yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, <laughs> this, this awesome episode of the Sega Lounge with me. Uh, and well, hopefully thank you. you can come I... back soon. I will definitely come back soon, especially if you have Spencer Nilsson back soon. You better invite me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need to. You, we'll need to get on that. We'll need to. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna text my buddy Spencer, or maybe oh, when he comes yeah. on, when he comes by, and you know, my house, where. No, well, I'm gonna buddies. Snapchat him later on this afternoon. <laughs> so take it. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll we'll take a quick break uh, again because we have more music by Spencer to play before we end the show uh, and when we come back I'm just going to talk about you know the upcoming shows this has been a long long show 
uh, two hours just now. It's unusual long for and this glorious show. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But long nonetheless. And so we'll just take a quick, quick music break. We'll play uh, Princess, which is a track composed by Spencer for the indie film Moonlight. And I'm just gonna come back and say basically goodbye and what's been happening on Radio Sega in terms of live shows. So stay tuned, everyone. You're listening to Radio Sega, and this is the Sega Lounge. Bye, Steven. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. different guest sega music news and whatever else we can think of the sega lounge only on radio sega
getting some echo the dolphin vibes there with this track this was uh op- these were the opening titles uh, to no return and before that we had princess from the indie movie moonlight both conf- uh, composed by spencer nielsen uh, i'm back <laughs> uh, on my own this time just to let you know of some things that uh, will and have been happening on the world of radio sega Uh, as per usual, you can go to radiose.ga forward slash shows for our entire lineup of shows. Not exactly up to date yet, but we're working on that. Uh, so let me just tell you what's going to be happening in the next few days. Tomorrow, we'll have Sega Mixer Drive with Rexy at 9pm UK time. By the way, if you go to radiose.ga slash shows, you'll get all the show times in your own time zone automatically so you don't need to do the math and you don't need to get a time zone converter or something just go to radiose.ga slash shows and you can check the full um, lineup of shows in your own time zone and it'll tell you how much time uh, before uh, the next show airs on radio sega so sega Mix drive 9 p.m uk time tomorrow Uh, with Rexy afterwards at around 11 p.m. give or take we'll have the season finale of Last Call it's been a quite a short season but it's been fun nonetheless and we're closing the season with a bang we're uh, you know saying goodbye to, to the summer season with an amazing set by our good friend Rob KTA so you all know and love Rob KTA's track so uh, Rob KTA will be back to close off the season the third season of Last Call tomorrow after Sega Mixer Drive so at around 11pm UK time Western Europe time uh, you know you can just tune in for uh, Sega Mixer Drive and just keep listening uh, for an, another hour for Last Call there should be another episode of Chaos Control Center tomorrow as well should be the season finale for this Uh, this, you know, one of our most recent shows, Chaos Control Center with uh, CD-ROM 1019 and BDX, The Bad Influence, right after Last Call. Uh, Saturday Night Sega airs this Saturday at 10 p.m. UK time. Uh, and uh, big news, or perhaps not, depending on your own opinion, uh, we'll have the return of the Manic Monday show. I'm really excited about this. The second season of the Manic Monday show, you know, I'm, I, I feel like there's something missing in my life when I'm not doing a Monday night show. So uh, I, I'm really excited to bring back the Manic Monday show with some exciting new segments, some fun new challenges for people listening. I hope you enjoy and I, I, I know I'm going to have a blast with the third party tracks of the week segment. So Uh, if you want to take part in that, uh, don't forget to go uh, to a link that I can't now remember what it is. <laughs> Because I'm lazy and I should have prepared for this beforehand. But it's radiose.ga forward slash third party, I think. I think that's the, the correct link. Let's, let's see if, it, if I can check this out. Exactly. So radiose.ga slash third party. We all grew up playing our Sega consoles and we didn't always play Sega games, we uh, sometimes played third-party games, some awesome ones, with some great 
music and uh, so you can now request third-party tracks to be played on the Sega Launch. Tracks from non-Sega games that were released on Sega consoles. Just uh, something new for this new season. You can also go to RadioSE.ga It's always RadioSE.ga slash Manic Monday Choice because the People's Choice segment is back as well. And the poll has been up for a few days now. So if you want to go there, RadioSE.ga slash Manic Monday Choice you can now vote for um, your the three tracks you'd like to, to listen to on the show this this Monday. TCP says the main thing you missed from Manic Monday show was John Cena. Yeah. If you missed John Cena, not this week, but I hopefully the next this on the second episode, someone else is joining the Manic Monday show family. That's all I can say for now. Um, when was you asks where was that about non-Sega music? Non-Sega music released on uh, from games released on Sega consoles. Third-party music. Radio se.ga slash third-party. That's uh, what you can uh, where you can go to request or suggest uh, music for the third-party tracks of the week segment. Enough self-promotion. Uh, Spencer said I, I needed to be humble, so you know that's there's that. Then then there's the chart talking show Tuesday at the same time, 8 p.m. UK time or Western Europe time. There's the opinion zone, I think, or maybe not. Afterwards and Sega Addicts AM, hopefully uh, afterwards as well. So Thursday is always a busy day on, or Tuesday is always a busy day on Radio Sega. Club Sega airs on Wednesday and. The Sega Lounge is back next week again with something which I cannot say what it is uh, right now because I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, two weeks from now, though, um, I don't really know I, uh, either, I think. Or do, do I know? I, I I don't have the schedule. I think two weeks from now, we'll have... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably have our Memories of Outrun special. Outrun turns 30 years old and so we'll probably do that on the 15th of September and on the 22nd we'll have uh, Matt Kramer from Sanzaru Games uh, to talk about the newest Sonic Boom Fire and Ice game you know everyone's excited about it right well you never know it might be a good game you know? yeah. anyway it's been fun Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Radio Sega for the Sega Lounge. All of you, all over, like 36 or 38 of you that were listening at one point. Uh, thank you so much to Spencer Nielsen for coming on the show, to Stephen for co-hosting. I'm going to leave you with uh, a Spencer Nielsen, tra Nielsen track, which is probably the most played from his uh, awesome catalog of Sega tracks. So from Sonic the Hedgehog CD, this is the ending version of Sonic Boom because, you know, it's cool, it's got pastiche and Mr. Bat got it good. I've been KC, this has been the Sega Lounge. I'll be back on Monday with the Manic Monday Show. Bye-bye!
Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7.